0: that, That, As children of God, you have us. And there are times when we feel like we're all alone and we feel like we've got to do it on our own. If we just watch, if we just pay attention, we'd realize that your hand of provision is guiding us, it's leading us, it's carrying us through whatever difficulty we face. Thank you for that. Thank you for the promise and thank you for the fact that you are the promise keeper. You've never failed in keeping your promise and we can claim that this morning father in the next few moments as we open your word we pray that your spirit could speak to us that it would be your words that we hear not mine and that you would be able to help us to understand a little bit better your character and how much you love us and care for us and what you want to what you want to provide for us so meet with us in the next few moments as you already have been and speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've been with us the last number of weeks, we started a rather lengthy journey uh, through the entire Bible. And we're going to be talking about the whole story and looking at all of the books of the Bible. And it's, I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, Mike and I, when we were talking about it, we kind of got a little bit excited about the possibility of doing this. Just because we get a chance once again to wander through Scripture and look at the thread of God's redemption for mankind, for humanity, all the way through through Scripture. And it is it is awesome to look at. And so hopefully you've been wandering along with us. Maybe you've been reading the books ahead. And as you know, it's impossible for us to cover every topic that's found. And we're just grabbing one topic out of each of the books as we wander through all of these 66 books. And this morning, I get the privilege. I don't know how this all worked out. God is gracious. Uh, usually I get, get the hard stuff. I don't know what, I, and Mike sets the schedule up, so I kind of know why that happens. But, but this morning, I get to deal with Ruth, and I love the little book of Ruth. And later when I get back from vacation, I get Nehemiah as well, which is one of my all-time favorites. So God is smiling on me. And giving me that privilege. But this morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to look at the book of Ruth. We're going to talk about the whole story. And I want to come at this maybe from a different angle than what people would think. I want to talk to you about... Somebody's up here getting a phone call, and it's not me. So um, I want to talk to you about gracious obedience this morning. I want to chat with you a little bit. Not grudging obedience. We see a lot of that, right? Sometimes if you're a parent, you see that with your kids, grudging obedience, they do it, but they really don't want to. And really, honestly, let's be honest, as adults, there's a lot of times where we're grudgingly obedient. We know it's the right thing to do, and we grumble and complain the whole time we do it, but we do it. And I want to talk to you this morning about gracious obedience. If you were with us last week, Pastor Mike talked a little bit with us about the book of Judges. And if you'll remember, the book of Judges is a time of confusion. It's a time of chaos. It's a time when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, and it's not godly. They're The nation of Israel and the surrounding nations, they're in the promised land, but they've decided to go their own way and do their own thing. And they're not living for God. They're living a long way away from God. And they're making a lot of decisions that are are hurting their families and hurting their communities. And the unit of Israel as a nation is being really devastated because of the decisions that they're making. And, and they cry out to God because they're full of despair. And God sends judges along to, to lead them back to the right path. And if you remember, Pastor Mike last week talked about 10 different times where they kept straying away and God would pull them back and pull them back. Well, in the middle of that chaos and confusion, if you look at Ruth chapter one, verse one, it says, during the time of the judges, this little book, this little story, these events in somebody's life that happen they happen in the middle of all that chaos and confusion. And what I want you to understand is that just because the world is falling apart, just because everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes, just because everyone else is choosing to sin against God and not live for God, doesn't mean you have to or I have to. And in the middle of all this confusion, there's this wonderful little book about this gal, Ruth. And this group of people that are all kind of together because of this family unit who choose to follow God in spite of what's going on around them. And it's really pretty amazing. It's, it's not one of the big leaders that that's not it. It's, it's not a preacher. It's, it's not one of the judges. It's not a prophet. It's a little family unit. It's a little average, everyday family unit who chooses to follow God. And in the midst of of the chaos and and the fact that the nation's falling apart because of sin, these folks say, no, we're not going to do that. And we're going to struggle through this. And I want you to understand that it's not easy. This is a struggle. If if you read the first part of this this book, and I, I challenge you, go ahead. It's only four chapters. Go ahead and read it. Not right now. Just listen to me, and then you can read it. But read the little book and you'll find that Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, there was a famine in the land. And I don't doubt that it had to do with the sin that was going on. God doesn't really tell us, but there was a famine in the land. And they choose to go down to Moab to live, to find work and food. And so they travel down with their two sons. And, and while they're down there, their two sons marry. And one of the sons marries this gal named Ruth. Well, while they're in Moab and, and they're working in Moab, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. And then her two sons die. So this isn't easy. This isn't somebody made a choice to follow God and all of a sudden everything was easy for her. That's not true. This is incredibly difficult. This is painful. And it's a lot like our lives. And so... She's down there by herself, and she has her two daughter-in-laws who are living with her, and she decides, hey, I hear the famine is gone back in Bethlehem. It's, it's where I was from, and I, I hear they're doing okay back there, and so I'm going to make my way back and, and see what could happen. And, and so she makes her way back, and on the way, she tells her daughter in laws don't bother coming with me. I have nothing to offer, with, offer you. And even if I remarried and, and had sons again, you couldn't wait long enough for, to marry those sons to have family. So you might as well go back to your home and, and just live out life. And Ruth says, no, I'm not doing it. I'm going with you. I'm going I'm to go with you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live with you. I, I'm sticking with it. I'm doing it. And, and so she does. She, she follows. And that's part of the story that we're going we're to look at is gracious obedience. The judges were used as deliverers by disciplining the people to get their attention back to God. And this little book is going to talk about the kinsman redeemer Boaz who is gracious and merciful to show the love of God. A totally different picture Of God being the Redeemer and the Deliverer. The opposite side of the coin. And that's what we're going to see in this book. Boaz, in the book of Ruth, becomes the Redeemer of the family. He's the family Redeemer. And instead of bringing delivery through discipline, he redeems them through grace and mercy. He is a beautiful, wonderful picture of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. I want to spend the next few minutes that we have together looking at this one truth, gracious obedience. We're going to start with the character of Ruth. If you have your Bible, look at Ruth chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Let me read them for you. But Ruth replied, don't plead. She's talking to Naomi at this point. Don't plead with with me to abandon you and return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely. If anything but death separates you and me she made a commitment this is what Ruth is doing she's looking at her mother-in-law and she says look I'm all in whatever you decide to do I'm gonna help you I'm gonna be with you I'm gonna I'm gonna serve your God I'm gonna do whatever it takes I'm in I'm all the way in hey folks for some of us that's what happened when we came to Christ some of you haven't got there yet but when you came to Christ that's what you said You said, I'm all in. Wherever you lead me, I'll go. Where you choose to dwell, I'll dwell. I will serve you. I will put all on the line. My life is yours 100%. It's a great first step, and it's what God requires of us when we become his children. But what I want you to understand about this is Ruth follows through in her commitment, and often we don't. We say, yes, God, I'm yours. I want to be your child. But only when it's easy, only when it works out in my favor, only when it it doesn't cause me any difficulties, only when I like it. Well, it's not easy for Ruth. She makes a commitment to Naomi, and for the rest of the book, you will see her follow through on her commitment. She will do whatever it takes to be the person she claimed that she was. And we find her in chapter two and three. They're looking for food. They're two ladies by themselves. They have nothing. It's the harvest season. And Naomi tells Ruth, why don't you go and and collect grain? As the harvesters are harvesting grain, why don't you go along behind them and collect whatever you can so that we have food to eat? And, and, And Ruth goes and does it. And she ends up in, in Boaz's field. And if you look at chapter 2, verse 7, she, she asked the, 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 the gentleman who's looking after the fields, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harver, harvesters? She came and has been here on her feet ever since early morning, except for she rested a little while in the shelter. She didn't just kind of go, hey, we need a little bit of food. I'll get a little bit in the bottom of my jar and I'm going home. She worked at it hard. She put her all in it. Everything she had. And folks, often as Christ followers, we do a little teeny bit. We go, Here, God, you got this little morsel over here, and I hope you're happy. I got a little bit in the bottom of the jar, God. That's good, right? That's all you need. Hope you got it. And Ruth is graciously obedient to her commitment, and she's going to put it all on the line, and she's going to work as hard as she possibly can. She worked hard at what was before her. And folks, let me tell you something. The work that she had wasn't glamorous. It wasn't upfront. It wasn't fun, but it was necessary. And often what we're asked to do is not fun, and it's not easy, but it's necessary. I don't know if you've ever gone into a, a harvest field and gleaned behind the harvester. I have. I grew up in potato country. And we used to be able to go behind the harvester and pick potatoes for the winter. And we would go, and sometimes potatoes would fill over the back of the... I also worked on a harvester for a while. That's a lot more fun than picking behind the harvester, just so you know. Because there's not a lot of potatoes left. I mean, the idea of harvesting, right, is to get all the potatoes. Well, the same is true here. The, The idea of harvesting is to take all the grain, And so she's looking for all the little morsels, and it's hard work, folks, following Christ and living for Christ and being committed to Christ is hard work. If you look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, you see that her commitment is seen also with Boaz. Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. I've heard how committed you are. Everybody knew that Ruth had done done something that's not normal. She left all she knew to, to go somewhere that no one knew her and she had no advantages. Everybody heard about it, folks. Our commitment to Jesus Christ is often done in such a way that we say, hey, it's private. It's between me and God. And nobody needs to know that's a lie from Satan himself. Because there is nothing about your spiritual life that is to be private. God says that all the world should know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your light should so shine that everybody knows Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. And this little lady, this little Ruth here, she makes a commitment to God, to to Naomi, her mother, and everybody knew she was all in. Hey, how about you? And your relationship with Jesus Christ, is that something you've kept under the covers? Do the people at work know that Jesus Christ has changed your life and you stand for something totally different? And the truth of God lives in you and changes your heart and your life? Do your family, do they know that Jesus Christ has a hold of your heart and such a hold that you can do nothing but follow him and live for him? Gracious obedience. He's got all of me. As you read the story, you'll find that she remains faithful to her commitment all the way through. Does not waver. The second little character in this story, well, second character in this story that I want you to catch is Boaz. Boaz is we're seen in this in this story that we're going to that we're looking at as the redeemer of the family. He's the one who comes in and he saves the family from the plight. Naomi and Ruth the plight that they're in. Now he's a businessman and he's got he's got grain, he's got fields of grain and and he's got he's hired harvesters and he's doing a good job within the community. We know that because if you read later in the story he's respected at the city gates. The guys, the the men of the city come when he asks them to come. He's respected there. And so he's a businessman who's doing his job well. And he's got harvesters working for him. And he's living out life to the best of his ability. And he pays attention. Remember, remember when this is, this is in the time of judges, when there's chaos and confusion, and not everybody's living for God, and it would have been easy for a businessman at this time to do his own thing, his own way, and and nobody would have thought different because that's what everybody was doing, but not Boaz, he's living differently. And he notices the people who work for him. If you catch this in chapter, chapter 2, verse 5, Boaz, Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the har- harvesters, who is the young woman here that is gleaning grain? He's coming from town. He hasn't been there all day. And he's coming to oversee his work. And he looks and he goes, I, I hired all these. But, but who is this? He's attentive to what's going on. He sees the people who are there. He noticed And if you look at at chapter 2, verse 10, Ruth, she falls on her face and bowed to the ground before him. And she said, why have I found favor with you so that you noticed me, although I am a foreigner? I don't even belong here. You don't even have to take notice of me. But you did. You cared. Now, I need you to understand something about the character of Boaz at this point. Boaz is following the law. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and you would find this, that the the nation of Israel, when a foreigner came into their town, they were to make room for them, they were to help them, they were to provide food for them if they needed it, they were to provide shelter for them, they were to, to make a way for them to survive, that was their job. So we know that this guy, Boaz, he's not doing his own things. He's not living in chaos like everybody else. He's still following the law. He's still pleasing God. He's still saying, look, God, what is it that you have for me? And I'm going to walk it out. And because he does, Ruth and Naomi benefit, but they benefit far more than you could ever dream because of his, his graciousness. Look at chapter 2 verses 14 to 16. It says this, at the meantime Boaz told her, "Come over here. Have some bread. Don't just pick up the little the leftover kernels. Have some bread and and dip into the vinegar sauce with the bread so that so that you can eat it." And so she sat beside the harvesters and he after he offered her some roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and and had some leftover even to take home and and when she got up and gathered grain Boaz ordered the young men who were harvesting, listen to this, let her even gather grain among the bundles, not just the fallen stuff, and don't humiliate her. Pull some of the stalks out of the bundles and leave them for her to gather, and don't rebuke her. He's gracious and generous. He didn't have to do that. It said, "It's the, the law simply said, when you harvest, if there's some stuff that's not ready yet, this happens, when you harvest your grapes or or your your olive trees or, or your your grain, if there's some that's not ready, leave it. And don't go back and get it. Let the foreigners or those who are poor come and take that. And that's, he had every right just to do that. That was it. That's what the law commanded, but he doesn't. He's far more gracious than that. He says, here, take a little extra. Let me provide for you a little extra. He went above the requirements of the law. And then in chapter 3, you see Boaz fulfills every requirement of the law. Now, I don't want to get into all this, but here's here's a quick snapshot of what was taking place. When a family lost the provider of the family, which would have been a limeleck, Naomi's husband, one of the family members would buy that family back. And the kinsman redeemer would do one of three things. If there was an unrightful death, he would avenge the death. If there was a death in the family by natural causes, he would provide, he would buy back the land, not as his own, but for that family to keep the line going. And if a lady was widowed, he would marry her so that, her line could keep going. That family line could keep going. That's what the kinsman redeemer did. And here's what you have to understand about that. The kinsman redeemer gained nothing in doing it. He did it all for the other family. He didn't gain any wealth from it. He didn't gain any position from it. He did it all for them. Every bit of it was for them. And so Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. Actually, there was someone before him who couldn't fulfill his vow. So Boaz stepped in, and he fulfills the vow as the kinsman redeemer, and he marries Ruth. And not only does he provide for Ruth, but he provides for Naomi, because that was his job as the kinsman redeemer. So he steps in, and he redeems this family who's in desperate straits. They're struggling. They're not going to make it. And he steps in, and he saves them, and he pulls them out of that as the redeemer. And you're saying, now, Tim, That's all great. I'm glad you told me this story. I'm glad you've told me these points. But really, why does this matter? Great question. Thank you. I can finish my sermon. I wouldn't have been able to if you hadn't said that. Don't miss the significance of this passage. If you go to the end of this passage, you find that Boaz and Ruth had a son. And that son was the grandfather of, David did you catch that did you catch that remember when I spoke on Genesis in Genesis chapter 3 God made a problem I mean a promise he had a problem he made a promise God made a promise he promised that through the line of Abraham he would make a great nation And that nation would bless all people. He's keeping his promise. This is what God does. He keeps his promise. We're removed by hundreds of years, and God is still keeping his promise. And what you have to understand here, it's not just the nation of Israel who's being blessed here. It's all nations. Look at this. Ruth is not a Jew. She's a Moabite. She's a Gentile like you and I. And God takes a Gentile lady and he places her with a Jewish man and through the line of David comes who? Who? Jesus Christ. All nations will be blessed. And God is in the middle of doing this. Look, this is called gracious obedience. There are two characters in this story. Ruth, who is graciously obedient to where she was led and her commitment. Boaz, who is graciously obedient to the law and the responsibility that is his before God. And because of their gracious obedience, the line and lineage that God had set up continues on. Folks, I want to stop right here for a minute. I want to ask you a question. As Christ followers, how graciously obedient are you? Often in the middle of this, we look at it and we say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just me. (laughs) No, because these two folks were obedient in their walk and what was asked of them, you and I's lives have been affected by Jesus Christ. How graciously obedient are you being to the voice of God in your life? If you were to go to Matthew chapter 1, the very beginning of that chapter, you see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Take a minute and read it. These names are in there. (laughs) They're in there. Something that happened a long time ago where, where they could have done whatever they wanted. God has included them because of their faithfulness and saying yes to God. How about you? Are you saying yes today as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you being graciously obedient? Folks, that gracious obedience followed through in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came as a little baby to this earth, he was God on earth. And if you look all the way through the book of John, Jesus Christ constantly said this, I must do my Father's will. I must do my Father's work. I don't know what's next, but whatever the Father tells me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk out whatever it is that the Father wants. And he knew that that ultimately led to the cross. But he was graciously obedient to death so that you and I could have hope in life. Gracious obedience. And when you have new life in Jesus Christ, you get the opportunity to offer that same hope to the folks who are living around you. Gracious obedience. This morning we're going to celebrate communion. Hopefully as you came in, you got one of these. It's got uh, a little cracker in it and, and some juice. And we're going to take a moment to celebrate the gracious obedience of Jesus Christ on the cross. I want to read a couple verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion, we are celebrating the gracious obedience of Jesus Christ to the Father and the fact that he was willing to go and pay the price Of all humanity's sin, something I can't do, something you can't do, but a perfect lamb, a perfect savior, a perfect redeemer could do that for us, and that was Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we sing together and worship together, take a moment, thank God for his son, Jesus Christ, and go ahead and take that wafer or that cracker. And then thank God for the precious blood that was shed to pay the price for your sin. And go ahead and take that juice. But be reminded of the wonderful, gracious obedience of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we have a chance at hope in life that we could never have without Him. Father, thank You so much. Thank you for this beautiful picture that's found in this little book of Ruth of those who are obedient to you. Those who say yes to you and are follow through on their commitment. Oh, God, help us to be those people. And thank you for the reminder that we have throughout the New Testament of the one who is graciously obedient to his father and paid the price for our sins. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate communion together, focus our thoughts and our attention on you. In your precious name we pray, amen.